Out of Place, written by Fei Li, read by Kaylin Wrights. Chapter 3 Within seconds of waking, Harry sat up, inspecting his surroundings. The sparsely decorated room with an enormous bed was nothing like where he'd fallen asleep. He grasped his glasses from the bedside table and shoved them on. There was a plastic card next to a muggle telephone. His wand lay next to them, as if he tossed it there the previous night. He pulled the white duvet from his legs and swung them over the side of the bed, turning the card over in his hands. In a dark blue typeface, the card bore the name and address of a hotel in Calais. He slid from bed and pulled on the jeans that were crumpled on the floor. As he buckled his belt, he scanned the room for any belongings. Harry gathered what seemed to be his and shoved them into a black bag that was spilling over a nearby armchair. He traded the rumpled button-down he wore for a clean tee inside the bag and slipped the nearby trainers on his feet. Hermione and Snape were wrong. It wasn't stress or whatever nonsense they were nattering on about the previous evening. This was magic, some curse he was unfamiliar with, and it seemed to get triggered while he slept. This morning, he woke up alone. He had that, at least. With a last glance around the room, he gripped his wand, focused on number 12, and spun on his heel. Harry stumbled upon landing on the steps, then hesitated as his hand gripped the door handle. Yesterday, Andromeda lived here. Would it be his home today? He raised his hand and wrapped his knuckles on the wood a few times, teetering between feeling ridiculous and anxious. After about a minute had passed, he gave in and opened the door and dropped his bag off to the side. The entryway was cleaner, he noticed, newer paint and furniture, similar to how Andromeda kept her version of the home. Hello? he called. No one answered. Harry moved through the house slowly. Each step he took was careful and planned, though he heard no signs of life. As he placed a hand on the kitchen door, he heard the shake of a newspaper within. Sure that Andromeda would forgive him, he pushed the door open and froze at the sight. Nothing could have prepared him for his godfather, not that he'd tried to prepare himself for the impossible. Sirius looked up and grinned, his dark hair neatly cropped. Harry, you're not supposed to be home for another month. Seconds later, Sirius was around the table and pulled him into a hug. After a stunned moment, Harry wound his arms around Sirius and squeezed. Hungry? Sirius asked as he pulled back. Uh, no, no, he said. Harry's gaze drifted around the clean and modern kitchen and willed his heart to stop racing. When he looked back, Sirius was studying him, his concern clear. What's wrong? Sirius looked better. Sirius looked better than he'd ever seen him, no longer gaunt and haunted. He looked younger, even. Somehow, explaining what he knew seemed even more difficult than the day before. Harry, what's wrong? Sirius repeated, this time with more force. Promise you won't think I'm mad, Harry said, words tumbling out. Never, Sirius said, and grasped his shoulder to steer him into a chair. Harry watched as Sirius planted himself next to him. I think I'm cursed, he started. Cursed with what? By whom? Do you promise? 
Harry whispered. I do. You're making me nervous, Sirius said to him. Harry nodded and clasped his hands together. He braced himself, took a breath, and nodded again. In order to figure out where to begin, he had to know when his life had changed. My parents died when I was a year old, he said, waiting for a reaction. After a moment, Sirius nodded. Dumbledore left me with the Dursleys. Sirius shook his head and frowned. No. That explained that. I'm not mad, Harry insisted. I don't think you are. Why would Albus Dumbledore have a say in where you lived? In my work. Harry squenched his eyes closed and thought about the words before he tried again. In my world, you chased after Pettigrew. In your world? Sirius asked, his voice quiet. Harry opened his eyes to meet Sirius's confused gaze. In my world, my existence, dimension, my time. I don't know what it is, what it's called. I woke up yesterday in a life different from my own and woke today in another one. He pushed himself up from the chair and slid around Sirius, and leaned back against the worktop. I'm not mad. A curse, you said? Sirius asked. I think so. What else could it be, other than madness and stress? Harry said, frustration coloring his words. I need a drink. Sirius conjured glasses and summoned a decanter with a few practiced waves of his wand. He poured amber liquid into the glasses and held one out for Harry, who shook his head. It's eight in the morning, Harry said, glancing at the wall clock. Since when did that stop you? Sirius seemed to realize what he said, and paused before he knocked back the drink he'd offered Harry. I followed Peter, and what happened? He faked his own death, framed you for it all, and you spent twelve years in Azkaban, Harry said. Sirius frowned and toyed with the other glass. You escaped Britain with a hippogriff. Voldemort came back. Then you died. For me. To save me, I mean. You've never lied to me, Sirius said. This isn't a prank. No, Harry said. No prank. And I'm not mad. You seem different. I imagine I am different. So are you. Harry gripped the worktop behind him. Sirius tapped his fingers on the table a few times, then leaned back in his chair. Who killed me? Bellatrix. That bitch, Sirius growled. The vehemence in his voice pulled a laugh from Harry. Sirius looked at him for a long moment, one corner of his mouth raised in a half-smile. We'll need help, Sirius sighed. You believe me? I believe you. There must be someone else, Harry said for what seemed like the hundredth time. If you're right, and things change when you sleep, we have one day, maybe two, before you're back to convincing someone that you're not mad, Sirius explained as he handed the pouch of potions to him. Remember, one every four hours. Dumbledore is the most likely to know which direction is the most effective to look in. Why not Remus or Hermione? Harry asked. He shoved the pouch into the pocket of his traveling cloak. I haven't seen Remus in years, and I've got no idea who that other person is, 
Sirius said to him as they ducked off to the side behind the leaky cauldron. Plus, if this keeps happening, you don't know what reality you're headed to next. Dumbledore is a resource you should use while you can. Harry sighed, then nodded. It'll take me three jumps. Meet you there, Sirius said. He clapped Harry on the shoulder, then disapparated. Sirius steadied him as he arrived in Hogsmeade, and they headed up the path to the castle. As they strode through the school's gates, a thought struck Harry. Who taught me potions? He saw Sirius's upper lip twitch in disgust, which was answer enough, as it was the only one he received. Professor Flitwick met them at the doors, shaking their hands and greeting them with enthusiasm. Harry listened to their conversation as Flitwick escorted them through the castle. At the headmaster's office, Flitwick gave the password to the gargoyle and bid them to say goodbye before they left. When the stairs stopped moving, Sirius knocked once on the door, and it cracked open at his touch. Sirius seemed to notice his hesitation and clamped a hand on his shoulder to lead him into the office. Harry felt faint as he watched Dumbledore rise from his desk and wave them forward. Ah, Sirius, Harry, sit, sit. Dumbledore looked far better than the last time Harry had seen him. He shook first Sirius's, then Harry's hand, and Dumbledore's strength struck him. Harry sat in one of the chairs positioned in front of the ornate desk and watched as Dumbledore settled himself in. It was most curious to receive your letter this morning, Sirius. I do hope I will be able to help. Harry felt a nudge on his arm, and he turned to his godfather. As you said, I'll likely be doing the convincing tomorrow. Convincing? Dumbledore asked, and looked between them. He spent the next half hour watching Sirius stumble through a story he barely knew, and answering the few questions Dumbledore posed. Where did the differences in this world begin? Dumbledore asked him, a finger resting on his lower lip. Sirius raised me, not my aunt and her family, Harry said to him. And I'd wager you found Voldemort's horcruxes early in this world. Dumbledore's eyebrows rose, and he glanced at a portrait on the wall, before returning his attention to Harry. You would wager well, then, Dumbledore said after a moment's hesitation. Was I one? Harry asked. Dumbledore shook his head. No, Harry. Although the thought crossed my mind, you were not. I take it that it was different for you. Harry nodded and swallowed hard. Do you recognize the curse, sir? Harry asked, releasing the grip he had on the arms of his chair. Dumbledore rifled through his desk, retrieving a measure of loose parchment. He inked a quill and began writing. I don't believe a curse is the culprit, though it is magic beyond what I am familiar with, Dumbledore said to them. He slid the parchment across the desk, then rested his quill on its stand. I grant you both access to the library. Just show that to Irma, or anyone who may stop you in the hall. Dumbledore stood and made his way to the cabinet, which in Harry's time housed his pensive. He waved them over, and Harry folded the parchment and put it in his pocket as he joined the headmaster. Dumbledore opened the cabinet, and the pensive was just as brilliant as Harry remembered. Do you know what this is? Dumbledore asked. A pensive, sir. Which memories are you asking for? Dumbledore seemed to approve. 
the last day of your normal life, from the moment you woke there to the moment you woke in another life. For long memories, it is easiest to focus on the first moment as you begin to remove it, and switch to the last as you continue, Dumbledore instructed. Harry had removed memories before, but never such a long memory. He wiped his palm on his trousers before he grasped his wand and raised it to his temple. His eyes closed, and he did as Dumbledore asked him, careful to clip away the end of the memory, and opened his eyes as he directed the silver strand into the bowl. Sirius moved close behind him and peered inside for a moment. I will review this, see if I can glean anything from it. I will peruse my own collection as well. You are both welcome, of course, to join the Great Hall for lunch and dinner. Thank you, Sirius said. Harry nodded to Dumbledore, then followed Sirius out of the office and down to the hallway. Where do we start? Harry asked as they made their way through the quiet passages. Time? Space? Fiction? Sirius grinned. Madness? I'm not mad, Harry said, and frowned. It was a joke, Sirius said to him, and pulled on his arm to still him. We will figure this all out. Harry looked at a torch on the wall in avoidance. Then Sirius pulled him into a tight hug. I wouldn't mind staying here, Harry grumbled into Sirius's shoulder. He felt the arms grip on him tighter, bordering on painful. Either way, we have to figure it out first. Harry marveled at how Sirius handled Madame Pince. He glanced across the large table that they had settled at, noting the dozens of books scattered, piles of parchment, and most notably, at the pots of tea and coffee, all of which would have earned him weeks of detention at school. But somehow, the librarian only treated Sirius to a pleasant smile. More than one student had gawked at the state of their workspace, glanced at Pince, then moved as far from them as possible. It's one. I'm hungry, Sirius declared and snapped a book closed. I'll meet you there. I'm almost finished with this one, Harry said to him as he continued to scan the tome. Take your potion, Sirius said, and his chair scraped across the floor. Harry peeked at Madame Pince, who acted as if nothing had happened. Three pages later, he closed the book and stood. He gathered the few that he'd finished and moved on to the stacks to reshelve them. Sirius may get away with his antics, but Harry was positive he would not. As he stretched to replace the last, someone snatched it from his hand. Startled, he faced Snape, whose eyes were flashing as he read the cover. Muggle theoretical cosmology, Snape asked. Seven years after you graduate, you return to do a bit of light reading. Snape put the book into its slot and turned his attention to Harry, who could feel his cheeks heat. He willed away memories of the previous day. The headmaster gave us leave to use the library, Harry mumbled. Clearly, Snape said, and tilted his head to the side. Why? Research, Harry tried. It's good to see you, sir. Is it? Snape asked, his tone dark. It is, Harry said to him, a faint smile on his lips. This Snape was easier to understand than the one from yesterday. He was well acquainted with a suspicious Snape. Hmm, Snape hummed. Research on what? 
Harry glanced up at the spine of the book he'd skimmed. Time, he said. I should catch up to Sirius before he comes looking. Perhaps I'll see you again before I leave. Harry tipped his head and turned to move into the library proper, then left the library. Harry pulled off his glasses and pressed his fingers into his eyes. Take your potion, Sirius instructed. The potion won't stop my eyes from crossing, he grumbled. It'll combat symptoms of fatigue, which will stop your eyes from crossing, Sirius said and flipped a page. Harry did as instructed, replacing the empty file as an upper-level Ravenclaw student approached their table. She mustered a polite smile and handed Harry a folded piece of parchment. From Professor Dumbledore, she said to him before spinning around and joining her friends. Harry read the brief note. Dumbledore has a theory, wants us to join him in his office. Thank God, Sirius proclaimed, and waved his wand, sending an army of books sailing to the stacks. Harry saw Madame Pince glance at the movement, then bent back over the parchment she had been reading. He shook his head and gathered the notes that he had taken into a stack and rolled and tied them together. Sirius banished the scrap. The edges of the windows were golden from the late afternoon sun. Harry had forgotten how long the light would cling to the school's grounds. Sirius slung an arm around his shoulders, squeezing him as they walked. We'll figure this out, he said to Harry again, before he let his arm drop. Harry tried to smile, and half succeeded, as they stepped past the gargoyle that moved aside at their approach. This time the office door was wide open, and the men entered to see Dumbledore behind his desk, nose in a book. He gestured with his hand. Serious, Harry, please have a seat, Dumbledore offered. He closed the book and placed it off to the side. Tea? No, thank you, sir, Harry said. Sirius shook his head and rested against his chair's arm. Have you had any luck? No, sir. I think I'm more confused than when I started, Harry said. He looked at Sirius, who nodded. They are not the simplest of subjects, even on a smaller scale than what we are facing, Dumbledore agreed. He tapped his lip as he seemed to consider. The headmaster folded his hands on the wooden top of his desk. He looked at Harry and met his gaze. I believe you are correct. The event seems to take place while you sleep. I hypothesize it is to protect your mind from the shift in reality. Whether that shift happens around you, or to you, I am unsure. So we don't know if I'm traveling through time and space, or if it's changing around me, Harry confirmed. Dumbledore nodded. Yes, even with all the knowledge and magic at our disposal, there are still many great unknowns. I have a theory as to why. Harry shifted in his seat and tempered his hope. Why? Sirius asked after a long moment. Dumbledore shifted back in his seat, pulling his hands from the desktop. The day before these events began, Harry, do you remember touching anything unusual? Dumbledore asked. Harry ran through that day in his head. It was all he thought about in recent days. The sickle? Harry asked. Dumbledore nodded. It is, in fact, a scythe. A sickle is the small version, Dumbledore explained and held his hands a short distance apart. 
I believe, though I can't be positive, that it was an artifact known as the Scythe of Kronos. The father of the Greek gods, Sirius asked. Kronos, Kronos, Saturn. The same entities, or different, depending on which literature you read, Dumbledore agreed. Fiction or none, the artifact in question is very real. Thought to be lost for over two millennia. I believe it was the object present in the Department of Mysteries that day. Harry touched and bled on the blade. Sirius's head whirled in his direction so quick that Harry worried he'd hurt himself. You touched a magical artifact without knowing what it does. Not my finest moment, Harry murmured. He looked at Dumbledore. So, how do I fix this? There's no way I can take it back. I do not know, Dumbledore answered. I have sent missives to some associates that call for urgency, but these things take time. Eventually, I'll need to sleep. I can't stay awake forever. No, you cannot. I will consult with Madame Pomfrey to see how long we can safely keep you awake, and we will hope there is a reply soon. Once you fall asleep, if I can remember this conversation, I will not let the matter rest, Dumbledore said to him, then huffed a breath through his crooked nose. And when I do, Harry asked, how do I explain this to you all over again? Dumbledore glanced across the room, then back at Harry. Pensive memories, of course, Dumbledore said to him. Sirius unpacked the parcel he had retrieved from London, tucking the clothing into a thin chest of drawers next to Harry's bed in the hospital wing. Pomfrey had insisted on monitoring Harry, since they were insistent on this asinine plan. Dumbledore assured her that they were. Pomfrey had dedicated the private room at the rear of the wing to him, and the matron had set to applying many monitoring spells on him with a pinched look on her face. Sirius folded the clothes again, lining up edges and flattening creases in a manner that seemed out of character. One of us needs to function well over the next few days, Harry said to him from where he sat perched on the foot of the bed. I can help keep you awake, keep you entertained, Sirius said sliding the drawer closed. You heard, Madame Pomfrey. By tomorrow afternoon, my judgment and ability to function will deteriorate, even with the potion regime she has planned. I'll need you at your best, Harry explained. I don't like it, Sirius said to me. Me neither, Harry shrugged and reached for the pajamas Sirius had placed on the bed. It scared Harry that wherever he appeared next, Sirius wouldn't be there. I don't say it much, but I love you, no matter which you you are. Harry looked away, and after a moment whispered, Me too. By sunrise, Pomfrey came for his final checkup. She gave him grudging permission to leave the infirmary with strict instructions to return every four hours. He showered, dressed, and made his way through the corridors to the great hall for breakfast. In the early hour, the hall contained a handful of scattered students, and only Professors McGonagall and Burbage, the latter of whom Harry avoided looking at. McGonagall waved him over, offering a seat beside her. He dropped into the seat with a grateful smile and poured a cup of tea to nurse instead of eating. 
His potion consumption had left him with a finicky stomach. They made intermittent conversation, and after his second cup of tea, he bade her farewell and left the hall as Sirius entered. They agreed to meet in the library after an hour, and Harry walked through the castle doors, desperate for fresh air. He sat on the steps, leaning back against the cool stone, and closed his eyes, taking in the fresh Scotland air. He was asleep within moments.